Nelson, episode five. Really What's going on, buddy? I'm doing well. Yeah, uh, all things considered in my football fandom world. Uh, but we'll talk about that at the end of the show as usual. Yeah, I'm good. I'm here to talk about, for me, the hated Edmonton Eskimos. And, and they're not even the Edmonton Eskimos anymore. But I'll explain that in a bit. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get into it a little later on. But welcome to the somber world of the NFL nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have mirror image records. Our our favorite teams are mirror images of each other. <laughs> the last two weeks, anyways. Actually, no. I have a win last week. So what's up? <laughs> I don't yeah. want to win, though. We'll get into it later. I don't want to win. I want to be the number one pick. All right, Kelly. Let's jump right into the Edmonton. All right, Kelly, what's going on with the Edmonton Eskimos these days? <laughs> well, these days they're not the Edmonton Eskimos anymore, but we'll get to that. Um, so as you know, Ryan, and as a lot of people out there listening know, I grew up in Calgary and Alberta. And the other big city in Alberta is Edmonton. It's about a three-hour drive to the north of Calgary. Calgary has a larger population. Uh, but it's it's not too different. Uh, Edmonton's probably about 200,000 less. But Edmonton is the capital of the province, and they have the, the legislature. So that's a big thing. And they also have the University of Alberta, which is one of the largest universities in Canada and much larger than the University of Calgary. So they also have that going for them. But otherwise, Calgary is kind of the place to be in Alberta or has been or was. I don't know what it is anymore. I haven't lived there in a long time. But Calgary has the oil money. It's kind of it fancies itself as like the Dallas of, of Canada. Um, oil money, cattle, cowboys. You know, it's funny that uh, I became an Eagles fan and I hate the cowboys, hate Dallas. Uh, but I grew up in Calgary. I grew up in the Canadian equivalent of Dallas. Um, so for years, a lot of people, decades, would come up from all over Canada, from all over the world to Calgary to work because there was a ton of work. Uh, the uh, city was booming, economy was booming. Edmonton was always more of a working class, blue collar city in comparison um but otherwise they had the university so they had that huge um academic uh part to the city but anyway uh when it comes to sports the rivalry goes back between the cities to like the 1890s and with hockey of course first and and mostly hockey i grew up in calgary in the 80s when uh the calgary flames and the edmonton oilers and the nhl were year after year, like the two best teams in the league. It was a very heated rivalry, lots of fights. The fans hated each other. The players hated each other. It was crazy. Uh, but the rivalry also extended to football and the CFL, not quite to the, well, definitely not to the level of the hockey rivalry as far as intensity went. But for years, it was a kind of in the 90s where they were the two top teams in the West and uh, played each other in big games all the time. And yeah, so and I went to a lot of those games as a kid. So that's explaining the rivalry between the cities. And here we go. I have to talk about Edmonton being a former Calgary boy. But the wrestlers that have come out of uh, Edmonton, come out of the football team, you know, over the years, over the decades, it's an impressive list of names. And uh, I thought, well, we have to do a whole episode on them, uh, just like we did a whole episode on West Texas State, because there's so many to get to. And it goes all the way back to Stu Hartz uh, in the 1930s and up to uh, the aughts with Roman Reigns. So it's a real long um, legacy in Edmonton. But I'll give you a little bit of info on, on the history of the Edmonton Eskimos before we get into the rest. So the Eskimo Football Club, or the Edmonton Eskimos, the first Edmonton-based club to be known as the Eskimos, was actually a rugby-slash-football team that was founded in 1908. Uh, I'm assuming at the beginning they played more rug, rugby than what we would know as, know as football. But as I talked about on the uh, previous episode on the history of the CFL, rugby slowly morphed into uh, football in Canada. And so they played until the 1920s. They actually played in the ninth and 10th Grey Cup games in 1921 and 1922, but they didn't win either of those. And they folded in 1929. And then there was a second Edmonton Eskimos team that came about in the Great Depression in the 1930s. And this, this was more of an amateur exclusively team. I think the previous one too was mostly amateur. Um, and this is the one that Stu Hart played for. 
and it only existed for a few years, 1937 to 1939, and it folded basically because of World War II. Canada uh, was involved almost right from the beginning of World War II. Uh, September 1st, 1939, the British declared war on Germany, and in Canada, we debated it in Parliament for, I think, nine or ten days, um, but it was basically a formality, and we declared war on Germany September 10th, 1939. So that shut a lot of stuff down. A lot of, of course, athletes got into the um, forces, into the army, and went off to war, and Stu Hart did that as well. So that Edmonton Eskimos team folded in 1939. And now the current team uh, was formed in 1949 as the Edmonton Eskimos, and that was their logo for many, many years. That's the one I remember as a kid growing up. And they existed as the Edmonton Eskimos all the way up to 2020 and were very successful at different periods in the 50s. Um, they were very successful in the 70s and early 80s. They once won five straight Grey Cups. And uh, then after that, they kind of won like one or two a decade afterwards. But in 2020, as I explained last time, with the whole um, Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of the social unrest from 2020, uh, the teams, a lot of teams changed their names finally that were offensive. Washington, Cleveland in baseball, and then Edmonton changed their name to the Elks. And uh, a funny thing about that is after changing their name to the Elks in 2020, they didn't win a game at home until this season. Um, the 2020 season was completely uh, wiped out because of COVID. They didn't play football the whole year. Um, but still, they went four years, 2019 to 2023, without winning a home game. And they lost at one point 22 straight home games, which is a record for uh, pro sports in, in North America. More than any baseball team, NFL team, NBA team, NHL team has ever lost at home. I just had to, you know, that's a little bit of of a turn in the screw, dig into the Edmonton uh, fans out there, that they actually had that um, um, very disgraceful record now <laughs> in the record books. And I can't see anyone ever breaking it. That's a very tough one to lose 22 straight home games. So there we are, That's the Edmonton Eskimos, now the Edmonton Elks. And now let's get into the wrestlers. Kelly, the first wrestler we got up here is Stu Hart. Tell us all about Stu here. All right. So we're going way back again. It's been a while since we've gotten this far back as far as birth date goes. Uh, Stu was born May 3rd, 1915 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, Saskatchewan is the next province to the east from Alberta. But he grew up in Edmonton. Uh, the story goes, I believe he came from a pretty poor family and his father thought that he had bought property, I think just outside of Edmonton, a farm. And so they moved to uh, Edmonton from Saskatchewan. But when they got to Edmonton, they found out that it was, they were, he'd been swindled and he didn't actually own this property. Somebody else did. And what had ended up happening was Stu's family ended up squatting on the land and living in a tent uh, for many, uh, I don't know if it was many years, but for a period anyway. And uh, the winters in Edmonton are damn cold. So that must have been a very hard time for young Stu. Uh, he checked in at 5'11", 200 pounds. So, yeah, not huge. But at that time, that wasn't uh, considered really small either. Um, and there is a very young picture of him. I think that was maybe even before he got into professional wrestling. I'm not exactly sure. So as far as football went, he was a center slash kicker. So we maybe have a kicker now. Uh, we already have a center. And he looks like a kicker there, Kelly. Uh, yeah, yes, he definitely looks like a kicker there. Uh, he would fit right in in today's NFL or CFL. And he played junior football, which is amateur football, in Edmonton when he was in his early 20s. He was quite the amateur athlete, like an amazing amateur athlete. He was great in football. He was great in baseball. And he was especially great in wrestling to the point where if uh, the Olympics had happened in 1940, he would have, I, I believe, been on the Olympic Canadian Olympic team. He was that good at wrestling. But of course, World War II put an end to those plans. So in 1937, though, he got into 
the Edmonton Eskimos, the second incarnation of them. And he played three years with them, 37, 38, 39. I couldn't find anything really relating to any of his statistics or even the team's statistics. It's, it's tough to come by. Um, but he was apparently a pretty good player, great kicker. And like I said, that lasted three years and the league or the team shut down in 1939 because of World War II. And um, Stu himself then went into the Canadian Navy in World War II and, and spent quite a long time in there, I think four years. And so he put his uh, athletic career on hold at that time. That picture is with Stu Hart on the uh, right and Wilbur Snyder on the left, who also played for the Edmonton Eskimos. And we're going to briefly mention him at the end. He And he became a star pro wrestler. So I thought that was a cool picture to show since yeah. they both had connections to the Eskimos. And yeah, I mean, he got in, Stu got into pro wrestling in 1946, right after he got out of the Navy and in New York City, he ended up uh, wrestling. This was a, during a time when they weren't holding shows in New York at Madison Square Garden, but he still uh, wrestled around New York. That's where he met Helen. She was a native New Yorker, became his wife. And um, not too long after, by the end of the 40s, Stu was promoting wrestling in, I believe, first Edmonton. Yes. And then uh, when Calgary opened up, he, he started promoting a Calgary too. And then eventually the promotion um, went from uh, Alberta to Saskatchewan in the east and then to the west into BC, British Columbia, and even down into Montana in the States at times. Uh, maybe even Wyoming too, if I'm not mistaken. And there's Stu with Muhammad Ali in the 1960s. Uh, I'm not sure where that photo was taken, but it's cool. It shows Stu's uh, celebrity at the time that he was, you know, a big enough name to uh, warrant a meeting with the great one or the greatest Muhammad Ali. And uh, yeah, longtime promoter and trainer, of course, in Calgary. That's maybe what he's more famous for, or more known for, is his training and for the dungeon and the hard house and all the wrestlers that trained there and the torture chamber that it was uh, for a lot of wrestlers. And Stu lived a pretty long life, passed away December, or sorry, October 16th, 2003. And yeah, that's Stu Hart, the original Edmonton Eskimo turned wrestler. Made a hell of a bologna sandwich. Only one piece of mayo or one piece of meat. I hear his eggs were maybe something you should avoid considering the spatula that was used to make them. <laughs> Gross. All right, Kelly, let's jump to the next one. All right, Kelly, next up here we have Fritz Von Erich, the movie star. Yes. Well, in a way, uh, yes, the, the movie on his life or his more uh, more accurately, the life of his children is coming out soon, The Iron Claw. And uh, he was the master of The Iron Claw. And there he is flashing The Iron Claw, Fritz von Erich, born Jack Adkinson, August 16th, 1929 in Jewett, Texas. Six foot four, 230 pounds, just a massive man. And yeah, got into football, I'm sure as a kid and, and in high school. And he was a guard during his time at SMU in Texas, Southern Methodist University. And he was there from 1948 to 1949. And the 1948 team, uh, SMU team is quite notable because that was, uh, that team featured Heisman Trophy winner, Doak Walker running back. Um, and they finished 10th in the AP poll at the end of the year, which was, I think, by far their best showing up to that point in time and would be, I think, for many years after. And I believe there's a, yeah, there's an award named after Doak Walker, right, for the top college running back. So quite the team that he played for. And that's the only picture of him as a football player I could find, number 78. I'm assuming that's from his SMU days. It's definitely not from his time with the Edmonton Eskimos. And after he was done in college, he wanted to keep going. He wanted to be a pro, but he also got into wrestling around the same time, early 1950s, 1952. That's a program from SMU 
versus Texas in 1949. So when uh, Fritz was on the team, uh, because I couldn't find any other pictures of him as a football player, I thought that'd be a cool one to throw right. up there. Homecoming day at the Cotton Bowl would have been a huge game. And so he kind of tried to find his way for a while. In 1952, he tried out for the Dallas Texans of the NFL. And this was the original Dallas Texans that lasted all of one season. <laughs> this shows you how shaky things were in the NFL at this time. They were an expansion team. They went 1-11. Their one win was against the big bad uh, Chicago Bears, though, man, uh, coached by uh, George Hallis. So they did beat a, a significant opponent, although I don't know if the Bears in 1952 were that great. But uh, they only had one win, and then they folded. And then there was a Dallas Texans team in the AFL, and they became the Kansas City Chiefs after a couple of years. And then, of course, there's the Houston Texans. So that name has been used numerous times. And But for as far as Fritz is concerned, he tried out for them, but did not make the team, didn't play in any games. And then he apparently went to Edmonton, although I have a question mark here. The, I could only find one record definitively, or maybe not even definitively, that he was with the Eskimos in 1953. But I couldn't, I, I found records of uh, the Eskimos in 1953. I couldn't find his name anywhere. And I mean, it, it's, it's, I think he was, if he was there, he was just there for a tryout and didn't make the team. And it was very short lived. But I put him on the team, or I put him in this episode anyway. I, I thought it was more of a definitive thing uh, before we started doing this show. But then when I started researching it in the last few weeks, I found out, oh, maybe it's it's not. He maybe wasn't even on the team, and it's just kind of a myth. But anyway, he's he's part of the touchdowns to turnbuckles, Edmonton Eskimos, if nothing else. And um, like Stu, he got into promoting wrestling. And maybe that's, I mean, he was a huge star as a wrestler in the fifties through the seventies. He was a major, major star and uh, wrestled all over, was in consideration for the NWA title at different times, was a big star in Japan, as we're going to talk about later. And that's got to be a very, very early wrestling photo of Fritz there. He's so young. He looks, you can see the facial resemblance, especially to David Von Erich when it came to uh, looking like his sons, he, he was especially um, close facially to David. And also as a promo, like David was known as the best promo of the Von Erich brothers. And Fritz was a very good promo as a wrestler. Of course, he played the German heel and that was big money back in the fifties, sixties into the seventies, big time thing. But he went back to his home of Dallas or his home uh, city, where he eventually uh, ended up anyway. And he took over the booking office, the promoting office in Dallas in the late 1960s, I believe it was, and ran it for 20 years. They had, had all kinds of highs and lows, as has been well documented, and some massive, massive highs, and then the lowest of the lows, unfortunately. And yeah, so he, he was very successful as a wrestler and a promoter. Not so much as a football player. And he passed away September 10th, 1997. There's one more picture of him from uh, his wrestling days that I thought was great, where he's being held back by police. Uh, just a total out of control maniac. Uh, just shows you the heat. You can only imagine what the heat in the arena must have been like that night for that match and what was going on. I wonder who the baby face was that he was oh, going. Yeah, so great stuff. Um, you know, definitely had a lot of faults as a human being, but as a pro wrestler and a promoter, he was quite successful. That's Fritz von Erich. All right, Kelly, the next guy we get up here is Gene Konitsky. Gene Kaniski, Big Thunder, Canada's greatest athlete. He had many nicknames. And there he is with the NWA title at the peak of his powers. Um, yeah, he had quite the career, and we're going to get into it here. So he was born November 23rd, 1928, in Chipman, Alberta. Chipman is a very small, small town, 
it may not even exist anymore. I'm not sure. Close to Edmonton. Um, six foot four, 240 pounds was Gene. Almost the same, identical as uh, Fritz von Erich. A huge, huge man at the time and a huge wrestling star and not a bad uh, football player, actually. So he played on the defensive line. And he started with the Edmonton Eskimos in 1949, which was their inaugural season. And he only played one year. Well, he played one year with the Eskimos, 1949. And then we'll get to what happened in, in between. He came back in 1952 and only played one game. In the first game of the season, 1952, he blew out his knee and was done for the season. And then 1953, he came back. And I think he played most of the year. And by this time he was, he was wrestling and making decent money, but he still was kind of interested in football. He asked for a $1,000 raise for the 1954 season to come back to Edmonton, but he was turned down. And that was the end of uh, Kaniski's football uh, career. And it was funny because 1954, that was the year the Edmonton Eskimos won the Grey Cup for the first time and went on to have a pretty successful rest of the 1950s. So Kaniski missed out on the dynasty. But uh, anyway, so going back to his uh, his one year in, in 1949 with the Eskimos, after that year, he actually was recruited and went to the University of Arizona um, in the United States. <laughs> it's interesting that he actually played pro football first and then went to college for a couple of years. I uh, couldn't do that nowadays, but things were different back then. And so he played at the University of Arizona 1950 and 1951, and then went back north to Edmonton for 1952. So he had two years of college. I guess he was just, you know, probably not considered good enough for the next level in the States. Anyway, I don't think he was ever drafted in the NFL. I didn't see that information anywhere. But yeah, he was, um, he played on a team uh, with, Joe Blanchard, Tully Blanchard's son in Edmonton, and Wilbur Snyder, who I mentioned already at Edmonton. The three of them were on the Eskimos at the same time, and maybe even with Fritz von Erich, too, in 1953. Not too sure about that. So a lot of future wrestling talent. And it's funny, they all eventually became uh, promoters, too. First, of course, mm-hmm. Stu Hart. Um, Kaniski, promoter in Vancouver in the 70s, and Wilbur Snyder was a promoter in the 60s and 70s and Indianapolis and Joe Blanchard promoted the um, San Antonio territory in Texas. So it's interesting that the, everyone with ties to the Eskimos became not only wrestlers, but also wrestling promoters. And there's a picture or there's an article from 1952 saying Kaniski informs the Esks that he will quit football. And he did quit in foot 1952, but he actually came back in 1953 and played one more season. But that was one of the only um, pictures from his time in football in Edmonton that I could find. So we had to put that up. And he began wrestling in 1952 while he was still playing football. And like Fritz, became one of the biggest stars of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Even a bigger star than Fritz because he made it to the top of the mountain. In 1966, early 1966, he beat the great Luthez for the NWA title in St. Louis and held it for three years before losing it to Dory Funk Jr. 1969 in Tampa. And we watched that match or part of that match a few episodes ago. And so, yeah, a long reign as NWA champion, huge star. Um, There's a great picture of him with hard-boiled Hagerty. And I love that they're (laughs) swinging chairs. I love that nickname. Yeah, you can hear, almost hear the EC-dub, EC-dub, (laughs) EC-dub chant background with that uh, <laughs> picture. <laughs> but yeah, he was a great shit-kicking heel. You know, he had a face that you love to hate, just wanted to punch, just naturally that kind of face. And yeah, he was almost always a heel. L- later in Vancouver, he, he would be a baby face as, as like a Canadian star, but mostly a heel and was a huge star. And um, yeah, not too bad as a football player. And he lived until April 14th, 2010. And yeah, Gene Kaniski, Big Thunder, NWA champion, and former Edmonton Eskimo.
Allie Nelson, tell us about the great Roman Reigns. Yes, the Tribal Chief. He's the main event of today's episode, and that's fitting because he's basically the biggest main eventer in uh, North American wrestling anyway these days. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to butcher some pronunciations here. I'll just let you know in advance. He was born Leitai Joseph Anohai. I'm not sure. Right? Okay. No. (laughs) I'll I'll let you. You're going to have to take the reins. Uh, no pun intended, uh, with a few things later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And well, you're the modern wrestling guy. I, I'm very, very uh, limited in my knowledge. Although I did watch quite a bit of uh, 2010s wrestling with Roman Reigns. So I, 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 I'm not a complete, uh, completely ignorant of his career. Anyway, he was born May 25th, 1985, 70 years after Stu Hart. So we're uh, hey, we're covering almost the entirety of the 20th century. Today. Six months before me. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, yep. we're the same uh, age. That's crazy. Yeah, so you were born in the same year. Yeah, I was born in the same year as Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and AJ Styles. To put that into perspective, and he was born in Pensacola, Florida, six three, two hundred and eighty pounds as a football player, maybe even uh, heavier than that as we'll see in the photos. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a defensive tackle at Georgia Tech, 2003 to 2006. And there's a, the pick from uh, one of the games, uh, screen grab. And, yep, first team all ACC in 2006, as it says right there, number 96. Looks like he was also a captain as well. I think he was a very well-respected football player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had aspirations to to make it as a pro at that time. And I don't think I don't know. I mean, he came, of course, from uh, the gr- a great wrestling family. I don't know how um, much he was thinking about becoming a professional wrestler at that time. He definitely wanted to make it as a professional football player, though, because he went after uh, Georgia Tech. Well, he wasn't drafted and he actually tried out in 2007 for the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, but I don't think he even made it to camp or anything with those teams. And then he had um, a leukemia diagnosis in 2007. I think it was when he tried out for the Vikings, and that's when they discovered it. So that kind of sidetracked things for a while. And then in 2008, he went to Edmonton and joined the Eskimos, and there he is coming on the field, number 99. Funny, um, in Edmonton, when you think of number 99, you definitely don't think of Roman Reigns, but uh, that's okay. And there he is playing uh, my Calgary Stampeders. It looks like that's in Edmonton, though. And yes, I'm wearing my Stampeders jersey for the second <laughs> consecutive episode, just to uh, ward off any bad, bad, uh, bad things that may come from uh, celebrating the Edmonton Eskimos uh, this week. So yeah, he got an action shot. He only played in five games though in 2008 and started in three, and he was released before the end of the 2008 season. So yeah, not sure what uh, you know what that was all about. I guess that you know he just wasn't um, good enough for the team. The Eskimos in 2008, well, they were okay. They weren't exactly a major uh, superpower anymore at that time. But anyway, it's it's for the best that he didn't uh, catch on with Edmonton or with the uh, CFL because two years later, he signed with the WWE and was pretty much fast-tracked to the top a uh, couple years in NXT. And then uh, the Shield came in at, what, the end of 2012 to the main mm-hmm. roster, and then it's been pretty much all up um, after that. Uh, became one of the biggest stars in wrestling by 2014. That's when he had his big uh, Royal Rumble performance where he finished second, and then he was pushed pretty heavy as a singles guy by the end of that year. And then 2015, of course, he won the Royal Rumble and all that and had a kind of, you know, it was for years it was, well, okay, we're going to go all the way with him. And then they kind of pulled back, it seemed, and then, you know, up and down seemed like and then the fans turned on him and then it was all kind of weird but now he's finally you know basically since the start of the 20s uh the 2020s he's he's 
been, you know, unquestioned as the top guy in, in WWE and uh, presently the biggest star in wrestling, I, I said. Um, definitely the biggest star in North American wrestling. And he's part of the, the legendary family with the Wild Samoans back in the 70s and the 80s and Yokozuna and Rikishi and all those guys. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's quite impressive. The Usos, of course. Yeah, an impressive uh, wrestling dynasty. And his, his football days are long forgotten. Although I did see he was in Edmonton. I'm not sure when it was, but he went to Commonwealth Stadium where the uh, Elks now play the football stadium. And he was being interviewed there. Um, so he did come back to uh, do something. I don't know. Maybe he did something before one of the games. I'm not sure. Or at halftime of one of the games. I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, uh, yeah. That's Roman Reigns, Samoan dynasty, as it says on the top of that picture. Former Edmonton Eskimo, and now one of the great wrestling stars of the present day. For sure. Our tribal chief, Kelly. Yes, the tribal chief. I do have a couple honorable mentions since um, there were still so many, you know, so many uh, wrestling, eventual pro wrestlers played for the Edmonton Eskimos at one point or another, just like West Texas. Uh, and I mentioned them already. Joe Blanchard, father of Tully, and a, a very good football player. He played for Kansas State in college, and then he played three years with the Edmonton Eskimos as a tackle. And then Wilbur Snyder played two years, 52 and 53, with the Eskimos. He was a tackle slash kicker, and apparently one of the better kickers in the CFL, or it wasn't even the CFL yet, but uh, one of the best kickers in Canadian football at that time. And like I said earlier, both went on to become wrestlers and promoters like Stu, like Gene, like Fritz. I guess that means Roman Reigns is eventually going to be a wrestling promoter. Uh, will he succeed Triple H? Will he take over AEW? Will he start Stampede Wrestling up again and run in Edmonton? Who can say? The future, you, you can't tell. You don't know. But it Never looks know. good that he will be. he will get into wrestling promoting at some point. Uh, yeah, so there's the Edmonton Eskimos. All right, Kelly, we are here on the depth chart. Let's start over here with Stu Hart. We're going to use him as a center. Uh, we're going to use him as a kicker more than likely. So mm -hmm. I think we should hold him behind Dusty. Dusty had much more girth and size to him than yeah. Stu. So I think that's going to help yeah. anchor the center of our line. What do you think? Yeah, I think Dusty's got to, I don't see him getting uh, moved from that spot. But if he did, if he was to get hurt, we got Stu in a pinch, but we'll use him mostly to, to kick uh, field goals and uh, kickoffs and all that. For sure. He's a special teams guy on our roster here. All right. Then we got Fritz Von Eric. Is he going to buckets? No chance, but is he going to kick Wayne Munn out of here? Or are we going to call him? I don't know. It's looking, it's not looking good for Fritz. It, it may be like, uh, you know, this is uh uh, imitating his uh, actual pro, uh, attempts at becoming a professional football player where he didn't even uh, make any, you know, didn't make a team, didn't get past the tryout stage. Yeah. I think Fritz may be stuck at the tryout stage here. All right. That's, that's good. Squad. That's good. All right. So we're going to go with the defensive end here, Gene Kanitsky. Um, yes. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think? Is he, uh, we're, we're kind of weak at the defensive end here. Uh, I know. Yeah. Graham I would put him. Yeah, I'd put him ahead of Superstar because Superstar was kind of just, you know, flirting with football. Didn't really, wasn't too serious about it. Gene was a big boy, um, looked the part, was mean. You could see him, you know, if he was playing on a team in the 50s and 60s, there'd be, you know, a picture of him on the sidelines with blood streaming down his nose or something and his fingers all taped and covered in mud. Uh, yeah, you could see him definitely playing in that era. For sure. So I think that we uh, – who is the better NWA champion? We'll kind of give him the starter there uh, between Dory and Gene if we get to break that tie when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, I look at a, well, I mean, Dory beat him for the title, so maybe that's the tiebreaker right there. All right, we'll leave it as is. So Roman, he's not better than Simmons. Not many are on this list. He's not better than Pillman. No. Now, how no. does he compare to Moscow? I if Moscow was a legend in the CFL. That's yeah. all I can say. So, 
Roman Reigns played five games for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, I hear you, buddy. And was cut. So we're, we're like so, the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. We're building strength on strength, and that's in the in the trenches right here. So we are pretty stout on the defensive line side of things, especially yeah. at tackle. So our four-six uh, <laughs> alignment is looking strong, <laughs> pretty much. Our, we're playing bare front as of right now. Yeah. Well, we definitely have a starting linebacker coming with the next episode. I know that awesome. for sure. Uh, so there'll be some diversity still to come, but I'm not sure. We're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We'll fill the. We'll fill in the if when we go when we got to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Kelly. So that's our depth chart. Let's go to our match recommendations here. All right, Kelly. So we don't really have the quantity here, but we definitely have some quality. <laughs> what we did this time around was you recommended all the the elder guys here, Gene, Fritz, and Stu, and then we we kind of reached out into a group chat that we're in to ask for Roman Reigns recommendations. So we're still bringing you six matches to check out. It's just one from each old guy and then three from Roman. Tough. Tough to find. Well, was we'll see. With Stu, there's, there's, yeah, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of picking the bones here, but I'm not mad at it. I what I, what I watched from these old guys, I enjoyed. So sure. let's start with Gene Konitsky, Giant Baba, two out of three falls for the NWA International Championship on August 14th, 1967. JPWA in Osaka, Japan. 27 minutes, 55 seconds. I went three and a half stars, Kelly. I thought this was very slow at first. It was black and white. I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but man, <laughs> when it's when it started rolling, it started rolling. It pretty much started getting hot and heavy when that kid jumped in the yeah. ring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tried to knock Gene Kaniski off the top rope. That was crazy. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting match. It was when Kaniski was the NWA champion. Of course, that's mostly why I picked it because I wanted to have a representation of him as his at his peak. Uh, it's joined in progress, though. I think yeah. like the match ends in a in a sixty minute draw, so we miss basically the first half of it because this the video is only thirty minutes long. And yeah. when we cut in, they're rolling around on the mat. I can only imagine like the first th that wasn't unusual for a, a Broadway a sixty minute draw where the first half first thirty minutes would be you know, the strict wrestling part, a lot of holds, counter holds, mat work. And then yeah. for the last half hour, they kick it to another gear. And that's definitely what happened here. So we missed most of the first fall, but we did get all the falls. Uh, it got hot and heavy, like you said. Uh, it was pretty snug, pretty stiff, a lot of punching and kicking, but but good good punching and kicking. Oh, and yeah. Uh, Bob, yeah, Baba won the first fall with like a Hogan, style uh rally and uh big boot and uh so he had the lead then kaniski after two straight near uh, knee drops off the top rope got the second fall on baba then the third fall was back and forth i think the bell rang accidentally at one point there was yep. a bit of confusion um this was at a baseball stadium in osaka and it was broadcast live on tv i believe it was a oh, huge wow. deal yeah um and they they ran a lot of baseball stadium shows in the late 60s, but then stopped, um, I think, because they weren't making enough money to keep going. But you'll find on YouTube, there's some other ones out there. There's a Baba versus Bruno Sammartino match from uh, a baseball stadium. Yeah. yeah. Um, Baba, you know, he he's kind of a divisive guy for modern fans, for, for fans of the past, too, because, you know, he kind of looks weird tall yeah. and skinny but he was actually a really good wrestler uh, and especially in the 60s and 70s um and I, I i think highly enough of him to have recommended two matches of his here um and back then there wasn't a lot of full matches on tape from the states or canada and but in japan there was so you get to see a lot of the stars from america and from north america in their primes in long matches from Japan, often against Baba. And there's there's some barn burners. This was a was a good match. I didn't know how to rate it since we missed the first half. Yeah. I was leaning towards four stars. I think if we had the whole match, it'd be a, easily a four-star match because the second half was very heated. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll put four on it. Why not? We're extrapolating. Yeah. 
on this. Talking one. about Kanitsky, as we talk about Kanitsky here, I thought he was unorthodox, but in a really mm -hmm. good way. I thought he was very, very fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been talking more about Baba, but yeah, Kanitsky. Yeah, uh, from what I've seen of his of the matches from Japan, at his peak, at his in his prime, he was really good. Um, there's another match between these two guys from uh, Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium from 1970, I believe, that is another Broadway. Um, it's really good, too. And you get the whole match. that They have um, that exists in full, if you're interested out there. Um, yeah, Kaniski, as far as I know, and then everyone says in his prime, he was he was great. I'm glad that my keen eye picked up on that. I thought he was on the unorthodox, the the knee strikes. The, I just feel like everything was based around his knee attacking. Um, even like you said mm -hmm. earlier, when the, the fin, or one of his falls was the double knee stomp off the top rope. A lot of his counters when he was getting attacked on his back was knee based. I just thought it was cool. Mm -hmm. I thought it was unorthodox, and it was a uh, kind of awesome. Loki, I want to check out more of Gene. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot out there, unfortunately, but what there is, is is worth watching, that's for sure. Yep, and the next match recommended here was Fritz Von Erich versus Giant Baba, ever heard of him, in a Texas death match from July 25th, 1975, eight years later, from All Japan Pro Wrestling in Tokyo, Japan, 16 minutes, 34 seconds. This was my favorite match out of uh, all the old yeah. guys here. Three and a, three quarter stars, Kelly. Kelly, I thought this was excellent. I love Fritz's energy coming into the match. I love the presentation of the flowers and the girls and the yes. ambiance of a Japan. I just thought it was yeah. the the table was set for a great match. How, however, you know the first first half was very 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 kind of laid back in a chaotic way compared to the chaos that we got towards the end, which was really rampant. And it was a Texas mm -hmm. death match, so you had to be down for a ten count. I thought yes. some of the some of the 10 counts worked very well. Um, I just felt that it was a little light at some times, and it, it, it didn't necessarily live up to the aura that it presented. But overall, for three and three-quarter stars, I thought it was rather great. Yeah, yeah. It was a really, really good match. I went four stars. I debated that one a bit because the finish was the weakest part of the match. Yeah. I thought. The, final, the final blow that put Fritz out for 10 was kind of a – Baba on his knees, side chop to the head. It yeah. kind of felt like he needed a bigger. I mean, we're kind of conditioned now as modern fans to expect like a real definitive finish, like a movie. Um, whereas in the older matches, it wasn't quite as definitive sometimes. But all in all, this was super fun. I, I did a little bit of research on this um, because I knew some stories about these two. These two had a long feud in Japan over the years. And Fritz was maybe, he was definitely one of Baba's top rivals. This was actually their, supposed to be their final confrontation. I'm not sure if it was, but it was, that's why it was a Texas death match. That's why it had a, the finality to it. Um, they had a big match in the 60s, uh, 1966, that's on YouTube. That's considered legendary, but I've, I haven't seen that. I think they also have a match from LA like Kaniski uh, did with Baba. But they had an off-and-on feud for years. Whenever Fritz came back to Japan, they would wrestle. So this was considered the end here. Um, a oh, Texas death match yeah. in Japan was was yeah very unusual um, with the stipulation. Like, because in Japan at this time you rarely had a, any stipulation matches. Uh, you would never see a cage match, or at least in all Japan or New Japan wouldn't. Um, they were very stingy on the stipulation matches. Um, and I've, I've never seen it done this way with the referees on the outside. Uh, mm. It was great how Fritz, <laughs> before the bell even rang, he tosses Joe Higuchi, the legendary <laughs> uh, referee in all Japan, out of the ring before the bell's even rung. And then both guys are bleeding literally within the first Oh, instantly. <laughs> yeah, the match. Uh, Fritz's blood was pretty gnarly. I loved uh, it. was just on the one side kind of. It even looked mm -hmm. like his ear was maybe bleeding. I don't know. Um yeah, great stuff as far as like the violence. Um, just the finish was just a little underwhelming, but otherwise they packed a ton into 16 minutes or whatever it was, and the crowd was nuclear hot. Um, oh, this was not a this was not a quiet, you know, stereotypical uh, quiet Japanese crowd uh, crowd at all. This was a hot crowd, and uh, this was a super fun match. Yeah, for sure, I totally dug it. And the last match out of the old guys here is Stu Hart and Bret Hart versus RJ Foley and the Stomper. 
a guy I took appreciation to in watching this in a tag team match uh, in 1980. I couldn't find a date. I I, uh, I searched the internet and did not get one. I took this is from Stampede, of course. I took a hard swing at Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We only saw about three and a half to four minutes of it, but they said that they were 10 minutes into the bout and it went about 14 minutes, 14 ish minutes, and it didn't really have a finish. So I kind of just said not no. available. It was just kind of cool watching them stop around the ring, Kelly. This is literally the only Stu Hart match on tape that's on YouTube. Um, I don't think there's much else. He came back again in 1986, believe it or not, when he was 71, right around the time I first started watching Stampede and wrestled. In a few tag matches. I can't remember if I saw those or not, but I couldn't find those on T uh, on YouTube. I think this was from 1983, uh, October 1983. And yes, it's definitely from Calgary, the Victoria Pavilion. Um, Brett and Stu against J.R. Foley and Archie the Stomper, Goldie. Uh, Archie the Stomper, Goldie. Yeah, he, um, him and Stu had a long off and on feud. Uh, Stu trained him back in the 60s. They played that up like in 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 the wrestling stories too, um, so he was almost like a it was almost like a Bruno Larry protege, uh, stu or teacher and protege type deal, and this was like Stu was sixty eight years old here, couldn't do much, uh, kept it to pretty much like close close in strikes, uh, mm -hmm. and knees, uh, he was still bumping though, um, uh, yeah, it I'm, I we had to get you know something. Of Stu, I wish there was something more. I wish there was something more substantial, but this is this is all there is. But it's a nice little snapshot of Stu and of, of the time, I guess, if nothing else. Yeah, I felt like the Stomper and Stu were like old neighbors that just bickered and threw sticks across the fence into each other's yards, and they yeah. finally get a hold of each yeah. other. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, that's that's very much what it was like. All right, and then Justin Rosario here. Well, first of all, I asked for a Roman Reigns era, a match from the Shield era, from the Big Dog era, and from the Tribal Chief era. So um, we some a bunch of guys threw recommendations in the chat. We had a little vote, and this is what we came up with. So the Shield, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins versus the Rhodes brothers, Goldust and Cody Rhodes, a tag team match. Um, now, this would be, if the Rhodes brothers lost, Dusty would be fired from NXT. And Cody and Goldust would have to leave the WWE. And this is from October 6, 2013 at the pay-per-view battleground in Buffalo, New York. It went 13 minutes and 55 seconds. And I went three and three quarter stars. It's, it told a great story. It felt really big with Dusty presenting his sons to the ring. The promo before the match was fantastic. Of course, the shield is here in kind of proxy for the authority, but they are the tag team champions at the time. They are the, the titles are not on the line yet, but they go on to lose the titles to the Rhodes brother on Raw either the following Monday or a few Mondays after this. Uh, I remember that as a as a, as a watcher at the time. And uh, this is just super fun. It's super emotional. Dusty feels like such a big star. If I, you could feel the love, the genuine love between his sons and himself going into the match. They presented the table great, and Roman and Co and Seth looked especially well bumping around for the lesser Goldust and Cody at the time. So Cody and Goldust are pretty much presented and propped up to their level of the Shield, and they kind of live up to it and really do a good job. And they could have kind of. Loki, they could have kind of gone with Ricotti here, but his obviously his time is now as he's been, you know, he's much more seasoned 10 years later and going away and learning a new hold, as they would say. But um, overall, Kelly, this is fantastic tag team wrestling, um, great modern tag team wrestling, and it's just all, all around great stuff. Actually, it's not their best match. The Raw match is even better, but uh, just this is just pure emotion, and it's and it's kind of a home run for what it's supposed to be. Cool. Yeah, like as I um, messaged you before we started, I didn't watch any of these matches. I kept holding off and leaving them and leaving them. And then I got into cooking dinner tonight and I just ran out of time. Um, I don't think I've seen this match before. I was watching kind of off and on in, in this period. And I did love the Rhodes Brothers as a tag team. They were a really fun throwback and and just, yeah, really good. I, did, I wish I did watch this because I didn't know Dusty was involved. So that that sounds oh, really cool. They come they come um, down to his music and it's it's an it's a fast fourteen oh, minutes. It's worked wow. so well. It's just it's just a great job presenting it. 
Yeah, I should have watched this. I did enjoy like all the shield that I did see um, oh, at this fantastic. time. They were really good um, right from the get go. Cool. The next match here is from Chad Campbell, Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan in a singles match. This is for the number one contendership against to go against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 31 for the WWE Championship. It is from February 22nd. Fast lane pay-per-view from Memphis, Tennessee. 20 minutes and 10 seconds. And I went four and a half stars, Kelly. Kelly, this is fantastic. Wow. This is a Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson master class. He did a fantastic job of putting this man over and getting him ready for Brock Lesnar to feel like a big star. The psychology of this match is great. This is the peak, the absolute peak of Roman Reigns having a chance in this era standing alone. And, and Brian did such a magical job. This is also when Brian was knocked out of the Royal Rumble the month before, and the and the mm -hmm. fans kind of rioted. <laughs> you know, they knocked yeah. him out like by like the tenth or eleventh spot from uh, Bray Wyatt, yeah, and everyone kind of had a meltdown. And they really rejected Roman Reigns uh, later on that yeah. night, especially when The Rock came out, and they still yeah. couldn't even put the Rock dust onto Roman. So we feel we <laughs> felt that this coming into this match, Roman was kind of dead in the water. And that the WWE is going to do the right thing and give us Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar, which is also a dream match at the time. Uh, but, you know, the, the plan is the plan. And they go with Roman. And really, this is honestly a Daniel Bryan carry job here. Roman Reign is obviously up for it because it takes two to tangle. But obviously, Bryan Danielson was carrying him and holding his hand through this match. But honestly, this little run here, the night after the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania, is a pretty good run for Roman Reigns to get him here. And they didn't go with him. They went with Seth Rollins, of course, as you know. And it just feels like it was very damaging. Uh, it was a great moment. I don't disagree with the moment. I just feel that it kind of should have presented Roman as a heel afterwards. As you can see now, that gives them the best chance. But... Uh, weird booking around this time, but definitely not a weird match. This is excellent four and a half stuff. Yeah, this one I've never seen, and I, I'm really disappointed in myself for not seeing it. I remember the night it happened because the Oscars were the same night, and my wife and I were invited to an Oscar party. So I, I would have watched it because I had the network by then. The Royal Rumble was actually the first uh, show that I ha or had when I after I ordered the network and <laughs> that was a big disappointment but i definitely would have oh, watched okay. this and then i i never did afterwards i don't know why um yeah, like that, i'm a yeah. big daniel bryan fan i'm brian danielson I, he's one of my favorite wrestlers um yes uh well I, that's on my to-do list when i get back into wrestling maybe at the top of the list is to watch that one sounds really good i i know it was as hyped and at the time yeah like you said it was weird because so many people wanted brian to be the guy to go back to the top and mm. reigns was you know kind of 50 50 a lot of people loved him a lot of people thought he was the next cena that was being forced upon everybody but i i always liked reigns and um but yeah it was a tough one and the wrestlemania match that uh happened uh the next month with with lesnar was awesome um and yeah. they should have maybe uh finished the story there pulled the trigger but we know how that all went. Eventually they got it right, but it took a long time. Anyway, yeah, I got to see this one someday. And really, it's just to put a bow on it, it's Daniel Bryan with the crowd, the majority of the Smart Marks crowd wanting him. <laughs> and like, let's do the right thing. We know better. We know Roman's not ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just does a masterclass job of even switching it on us and putting all that and changing all that energy and all that shine onto Roman Reigns. And, you know, of course, the smart fans and the know-it-alls are mad at the results, but goddamn, he does a great job of putting Roman Reigns on a pedestal. All right, and the last one here is <clears throat> from a Tribal Chief era, from Aaron George, Roman Reigns versus Jay Uso, and I, and I quit Hell in the Cell match for the Universal Championship match. October 25th, 2020, Hell in a Cell pay-per-view from Flor Orlando, Florida in the pandemic era. Uh, 29 minutes and 20 seconds, Kelly. This actually opened the show. I didn't rewatch this, but I went into my little depth chart and my stats, and I looked it up, and I went four stars at the time. I remember being a little bit disappointed. It's a very low four stars for me. Um, it's slow. It's monotonous. It's a little masturbatory, if you make sense. But <laughs> yeah, it does its job of presenting Roman Reigns in the new light as your tribal chief. He just returned on September and won the belt. 
So this is the second pay-per-view because they were doing pay-per-views every four weeks back then. Um, I believe I forget what the pay-per-view was called, but he faced Jimmy Jay Uso the night before or the pay-per-view before. And he kind of beats him, um, kind of beats him down afterwards and punks him out. And, you know, I'm the tribal chief and, but Jay's like, well, you know, I'm ready to shine. So on and so forth. But he real, what ultimately is the story is the tribal chief puts his family in line, puts the bloodline in line, in line. And he does to, to dominate the WWE. And the way he does that is by force and by brutal force and for, well, for PG era, of course, but we're in an empty arena. The TV screens are around, kind of like us, Kelly, like here. There's a hundred TV screens around the ring, like yes. us here. It's yeah. quiet. They don't really pipe in the fan noise. They, If they do, it's very mute. And all you can hear and all you can watch, 29 minutes, mind you, here, of just Roman Reigns just talking that shit. Beats them down. Just humiliates them. Belittles them. You know, my, you're my younger cousin, as you always would, talking that shit. He gets him in a guillotine because it's an I quit match, right? So he gets him in a guillotine, and then Jimmy comes out. I'm going off memory. I haven't watched it since then. So Jimmy comes out, and he's like, yeah, we got you, dog. You know, the, the Usos, they're slaying. They're cool, whatever. You know, we got you. We get you, Roman. We're in. You know, we're in. But he's just like, nah, you guys aren't in. But Jimmy has like a torn labrum or torn knee or something, so he can't really get physical. So he kind of like. Kivers over and hovers over his his broken down bro twin brother, and then he uh, he just starts choking. The, as soon as they submit, they verbally submit, but they got they got they got to tap him. They got to humiliate him. So he grabs Jimmy, who is like protecting Jay, who is barely alive right now, and he starts choking him. He puts him in the guillotine, and that's finally where Jay Uso wisens up and says, "Yeah, man, I quit." I give you what I want. I fucking hate. Well, he doesn't say fucking. I fucking hate you, Roman Reigns. You, you know, he totally gaslights him. It's a really good story. It really does a good job of presenting the table, presenting the table for the tribal chief, you know, in his really, his just meta friggin' brilliance of just like oh, psychoanalyzing his cousins and, you know, using his power to to really keep stay up top and, you know, staying up top is becoming the champion for now 1100 plus days and uh, really manipulating his family to kind of hold the keys and the power of the WWE. And uh, he was rejected for so long and just really to watch him get in his bag and really rely on the acting and all this in an empty arena where there's no real crowd or real, no real connection. And the connection is between here and he's telling a story verbally, you know, when you don't really tell a story verbally in ring, but you can hear him talking to his cousins and talking that shit. And it's just really mm -hmm. well done. It's just a little slow to me. It's a little lacking in the physicality. It's just plotting. Um, it's very good. Don't get me wrong. It's great. I just think there's other and stronger Roman Reign matches still built around this same energy, but where the Usos are on his side. Um, I think this is a great start to kick off the bloodline. Yeah, well, I know people were very excited um, pretty much from the get-go. It was the pandemic era. Like you said, it was weird. I haven't watched any of the empty arena <laughs> yeah. matches. I can't imagine. But now that the way you've described it, I, I understand that they had to do something different without the crowd. And so yeah. they they leaned into the theatrical side with the the, the more of the talking in the ring and, and all that. And, you know, that's that's interesting. They had to do something. Because it was just, I mean, wrestling needs a crowd. I mean, it's, it seems, you know, in retrospect, it's nuts that they kept going the whole time with no crowds. But anyway. It, it really it, helped I, Roman I, find his footing, honestly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it worked. I mean, it's, it's crazy. He still hasn't lost. It's been well past three years now. And this he was, yeah, right match, part of it. His brother, oh, his he, cousin oh. Jay pinned him in a tag match. Okay, so okay, in a tag match, kind of like uh, back in the day, Bruno would lose occasionally in tags, but he would never lose uh, mm -hmm. in, in singles. Of course, crazy. Yeah, it. I, I mean, who knows it, uh, if I'll uh, when I'll get to watching again? But um, I'll, I'll maybe go back and and watch the history of this whole story someday because it's it's uh, something they've kept going, and and I've, I've got to tip my hat that they've been able to keep it going. And keep it fresh 
um, when a lot of other storylines over the years, when they tried to keep it going too long, it uh, totally fell apart. So it's um, it's it's good. And I, yeah, I'm a fan of Reigns. I tip my hat to him. I wish him all the best. I'm sure he's kind of transitioning more maybe to eventually following in the footsteps of The Rock and John Cena and maybe doing uh, movies and stuff, but we'll see. Anyway, yeah, cool. Yeah, very cool. I would recommend it. I again, I would go check out. I, I personally, I would recommend other things in this era. I can understand why Aaron recommended it. It's 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 great. Um, it's just a little tid masturbatory for me. You know, what I mean, they got in their bag a little bit too much for me. But uh, overall, <laughs> you know, I love this era. Roman Reigns, great. Um, you know, he's the one. All right, Kelly. As we get out of here, your Eagles in the last two games, zero and two. My Patriots, one and one. Um, both results that we necessarily don't want <laughs> i want to i want the top three pick i'll probably end up yeah. with a top three pick but i'd rather have one i'd rather have one so i can get caleb williams or i'd rather get three where i can get drake may or marvin harrison and i don't have to pick in between them i kind of just want to take marvin harrison because i think he's the most safest guy but um yeah, i think so but uh you know it is what it is uh just cut here's your here's your minute to vent on the eagles yeah well it's been rough but i mean it was a, a rough stretch before that where they were barely squeaking by apparently th this six game stretch is the by record i think last year's record is the toughest stretch any team has ever gone through uh in nfl history but i'm not right. making excuses they looked horrible uh especially uh against the cowboys they just laid an egg so many turnovers uh from guys that usually don't turn over the ball like A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. They have the we'll see. Drops in the yeah. Dallas game. Yeah. Like the, the defense is totally cratered in the last few weeks. And the offense hasn't played very well either. So it's the perfect storm here where they're getting blown out. I'm not too confident in them being able to beat Seattle on Monday, to be honest with you. Even though Seattle's, yeah, Seattle's, lost, four, Seattle's lost four in a row, though. So something's going to give. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the only thing that would concern me there is your secondary looks extremely slow and DK is an absolute warrior and Lockett can get downfield. Yeah. So I can, yeah. but Gino also didn't play last game with, with beat up ribs. So. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I mean, statistically the Seahawks are worse than the Eagles in, in most areas. Um, yeah. But I've said this before, the Eagles haven't beaten Seattle in 15 years. They seem to have the Eagles number, no matter the era. Um, no matter who's mm. playing. So no, I'm not in it. And it's in Seattle. So I actually, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the Eagles are going to lose that. And then next they have now suddenly the giants are hot. Of course, when the Eagles finally get around to playing them. Yeah, I know. I watched that Monday night game, the whole game. I can't believe it, but <laughs> he's got to elect your body. Who knows? <laughs> DeVito, here's the thing. When they take away the running lanes, <laughs> He's not going to be able to beat you in the running yeah. game. I don't know why any defensive coordinator lets fucking DeVito run around. I love it. I love yeah. the Italian thing. I love the family. I love the slimy agent. I just think it's great. And I hate the Giants. Fuck the Giants, man. But I yeah, love yeah, this DeVito too. stuff. It's it's. I just think it's it's lightning in a bottle. It's like Deion Sanders early yeah. in the year. It's like Lynn Sanity. Right. I'm here for it in the moment. It just yeah. is what it is. And I don't know. He's just so charismatic. And the stupid fucking yeah. family and the chicken cutlets yeah. and the buffet before the lunch, before the games. It's just, I love it. I can't get enough of it. The dad's a plumber too, like me. I, I just can't get yeah. enough. Well, I know it's the perfect story for the city and, and everything for the state. Uh, but who knows? Anyway, we'll see. The Eagles have 10 wins. That may be all they, they finish with. <laughs> they'll squeak nah, into the playoffs. I don't know. 13. We'll see. We'll see. I, they just they there's so many issues with the defense that I just don't think they can do much um, in the playoffs. I hate it. I hate that Dallas. But I mean, Dallas collapses usually every year. But this year, year. I don't know. And San Francisco looks invincible. So I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see, Kelly. We got one more episode before the playoffs start. So I'm sure yes. you'll be singing a different song when that comes. And hopefully I'll be singing not the blues because we have we are two and fourteen or two and fifteen, whatever it is now. And that's that's mm -hmm. my hope, Kelly. I want Caleb Williams, but it's after the Steelers win, it's a little bleak. So give me Marvin Harrison or Drake. 
Yeah, I don't know what their your schedule is like. Um, you're probably not playing too many top teams, so you may. We got the Chiefs. Okay, well the, we the Buffalo again. Yeah, okay. we got Buffalo yeah, yeah. again. So yeah, it's not. Yeah, a, no, you should you should finish top. It's doable. Three. You should. It's doable. Yeah, you'll get one of the good good picks for sure. Yeah. All right, Kelly. Well, that's episode. You want to let out the cat out of the bag on what's next on touchdowns to turnbuckles. Yes. Uh, first, I'll run through my references for this episode. Wrestling data, as usual. Uh, Stu Hart's bio by Marsha Erb. Gene Kaniski's bio by Steve Verrier. That's a very good book. And college and football, a pro football reference, as always. Last word on sports.com was where I got some info on Fritz von Erich and the Eskimos. And Wikipedia, of course. So next time, so we're, we're down to two. Uh, we have two episodes left. The next one is all about the AFL, the the league that existed in the 1960s and that merged with the NFL and became the AFC conference, essentially. And then there was a few teams moved over from the uh, NFL or the NFC to balance things out. But yeah, they started in 1960, uh, challenged the NFL, and eventually there was the Super Bowl first, then the merger. Anyway, we have some wrestling, future wrestling stars that came from there, most notably Ernie Ladd. Wahoo McDaniel, and then it gets a little tough. Blackjack Mulligan, and then I, I haven't decided on the fourth yet. Uh, we'll see, because I want to find another guy that we can uh, watch a match for, but I don't know if that's <laughs> going to happen. So we'll see. I've got three guys for sure, uh, and the fourth will be a mystery uh, mystery uh, opponent or a mystery wrestler. If not, we'll get creative like we did this time around in the – Maybe we'll just do another Roman's Reigns match and I can go on for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, from why not? Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Kelly, it's been great as always, buddy. And now I'm, I'm kind of sad that we're getting towards the end here. Maybe we'll have to figure something else out, buddy. But we got two more left. And we got we got to finish out our depth chart. Yes. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, guys. We'll catch you next one next time here on Touchdowns to Turnbuckles. <laughs>